Hello everyone, it's Grant here welcoming you to episode 26 of Dicing with Design. In a moment I'll introduce you uh, with our main topic, um, but before that though, uh, there's some bits and pieces to go over. Uh, first, uh, we forgot to mention episode 23 when we're talking about Joe's uh, solo uh, Sword of the Skull Takers role-playing game. Uh, that is completely free of charge uh, on his website. So if you want to check that out, get some solo role-playing goodness in, then uh, check it out at uh, princeofdarknessgames.com. Secondly, uh, Danny from the last episode was successful in funding his Kickstarter. Uh, so you can look forward to seeing uh, the those who play appearing in a brand new format very soon. Uh, so look at thosewhoplay.com or follow Danny, Danny on at FungionMaster on uh, Twitter to stay up to date with that. And congratulations, Danny. Finally, uh, before we get on with the rest of the episode, uh, Liz and Mike from Nearly Enough Dice have uh, very kindly offered to have Joe, uh, Call and I on an upcoming crossover uh, super podcast episode. Uh, if you haven't listened to uh, Nearly Enough Dice uh, before, I uh, can highly recommend it. I especially like their uh, idea brewing section, uh, where they develop certain ideas such as settings, uh, which you could use in your role-playing games, as well as keeping up to date on uh, all sorts of gaming goodness, uh, including digital games. Uh, so, Without further ado, we'll now go into our main topic for today's episode, uh, which is what makes a game a game. Enjoy, everyone. So, what is a game? <laughs> A uh, question that has plagued humanity for weeks since we since we asked it last last uh, episode. <laughs> one of the big questions, isn't it? Second only to what is the meaning of life? Surely. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what else? Colin yeah. thinks he knows, so he's going to answer. Um, no, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I've done a bit of um, reading around it and uh, have some ideas from other people, completely ripped off opinions. So, yeah, I can talk through some of them if you want. But Joe just admitted that he wrote down his own ideas of game in the past. <laughs> and therefore, I think we should start with that, since it's one of our own ideas. <laughs> okay, yeah, my idea is from 2006. Still on my, uh, on my website on the uh, RPG theory section where I wrote a few little essays about gaming and role-playing games specifically, sort of trying to get a handle on what I thought they were, basically because I couldn't really understand like the, the gaming theories that were going on and stuff like the, the GNS models. The big model was a bit too complicated for me, I didn't really understand it, so I thought I'll write my own, then that'll make sense. <laughs> <laughs> and games have made sense ever since, kind of. Okay, uh, so, so yeah, bring it on. Okay, my well, first point is that a game is it's difficult to define, and when you start getting deep into language and looking at language, anything that, that is rooted in history or has a historical context doesn't have one meaning. The meaning changes over time. But 
we still need a definition, really. Otherwise, uh, it's hard to discuss. Okay. So, so a game, a game is a textbook example of something that's known as a, a woolly category. <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's not got hard defining boundaries. But I've gone for. Um, uh, well, first I'll, I'll do a quote as well, if I if I may. I don't know if you've. We're going to quote him as well, but uh, Greg Kostikian. He wrote a good, good essay called "I Have No Words and Must Design." I'm trying to sell. I'm trying. He designed the Willow board game that I'm trying to sell on eBay. No takers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, he states, amongst other things, that a game is a form of art in which participants, termed players, make decisions in order to manage resources through game tokens in the pursuit of a goal. Um. Not even the mention of tokens there uh, uh, narrows, narrows things down a bit. Yes, yeah. Ah, yeah. That well, can well, no, because you, in that definition, you can be a game token if you're in a game, if you're playing a game of basketball or something, you are the token in the game. You're, okay. So you're one of the pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. That crosses over with uh, one of the things that I found, which was the base, like the most basic definition of a game, is a game is something which has a goal. It has rules, uh, which is two things you just mentioned. But the other thing is it needs a it needs a game like attitude, um, which basically means that people are taking part voluntarily, and they are willing to be constrained in some way, so they're willing to actually play by those rules. So it's a whole thing about oh, that's kind of interesting. that voluntary that's... aspect to it. Have they never um, seen read a Marvel comic with Arcade in it or someone or Saw <laughs> or something like that? Isn't that all about games with unwilling participants? Oh, right, okay. Games that they're forced into it, isn't it? Uh-huh. That's, well, that's interesting. I'm just, yeah. That's always saying you can't be forced or coerced into a game. You have to yeah. agree to it. And but, I think there's something to that because yeah, a game... I don't know. Well, it's is can it be a game if it's well? I was about to say can it be a game if it's not fun? But I've played many games which have ended up not fun. So. <laughs> Sneaks so. and ladders is a game, <laughs> not fun. Yeah, but I mean, if you're talking about the fact that it's got a goal and it's got rules, then can you have something that uh, people are working towards a goal and and go by those rules if it's not voluntary? Well, probably you can, but but let's kind of go even bigger than that. If you have to have a goal, what's the goal in Dungeons and Dragons or Rollmaster? Well, that's always set by that's always set by the GM, isn't it? Well, he, get, he gives you he gives you kind of options. Obviously, like the best role playing games, you don't really get given a, com- a a concrete goal, and you're allowed to choose what you want to do. But there's always there's always plots, isn't there, to uncover and problems to to solve. I suppose. Is there? Oh. <laughs> it's, not in, it's not in the book, is it? It's not in the the game. Okay, well, the goal is to level up then. <laughs> the goal is to improve. The goal is to get new skills. Okay, but there's some role-playing games where you can't improve or get new skills. Or... Okay. Well, okay, well, maybe this is worth looking at. So, so there's That's, another thing that yeah. I was going to bring up, um, which is the eight kinds of fun, which is something by a guy called Mark LeBlanc. Oh, that's uh, interesting. That's similar to what I, I did. I did the six kind of one. Oh, really? Seven. Okay. 
you're, you're, you're clearly not having as much fun as this LeBlanc guy. <laughs> yeah, not quite what as much. Kinds of oh, yeah, and then the, that's my uh, my theory. The uh, um, where's the fun? Yeah, the funnel model, funnel model, and the, the genius theory, which is the acronym for right. different types. But okay. uh, yeah, go uh, run down the eight kinds then. And then cool. the well, yeah, the thing that the thing that popped into my head there was you're saying about well those two different types. So with Dungeons and Dragons, you have the kind of fun, um, which is uh, the story goals, um, but then you have them which is advancement. So yeah, the ones that he's got is uh, first one is sensation. So it's game as a sense pleasure, sense pleasure. I don't really get that one to be honest. That's one of the more abstract ones. Sounds uh, like a defence in court. Bed- bedroom games. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't quite get that one, but uh, anyway, they weren't um, consenting. It wasn't a game. It was a game. Therefore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this might need edited. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah. Next is a more understandable one: fellowship. So basically, a game is a social framework. They call it. So yeah, it's just kind of <laughs> friends and actually socialising. Uh, games is fantasy, so make believe, so actually making someone up, I guess. Uh, games is discovery, so games in uncharted territory. So I suppose Dungeons and Dragons falls into that a fair bit, doesn't it? Because it's you exploring the world that the GM sets out for you. Uh, then games is narrative, so you're actually telling a story. So that's some of the RPG games that you're the GM, like your type of games, Joe. Some of them anyway, uh, where you're actually creating a story yourself as well. Uh, game as expression, so that's he calls it game as a soapbox. I don't know. Well, I'm not sure about that one. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, that's that leans more towards the games as art kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't it? That's. I mean, that's the the point I kind of make in in the essay uh, that most role playing, what we call role playing games, are not really games because they don't have an explicit agreed upon goal. That everyone signs up to when they're playing it. Yeah. So it's more of an technically an art form, an entertainment. Yeah. It's an entertainment. Yeah. Rather um, than a game. Yeah. But you kind of create mini games within it. Aye. We actually we talked about some more of the kind of um, expressiony games possibly a couple of episodes ago, didn't we? With like the um, what was that dungeon creation game where you actually develop something as you're going along. Yeah, and, I, and I question whether that was... Is that where we got onto this topic? Where I was questioning, is that is that a game if there isn't an aim? It might have been, actually, yeah. Mm, it been. Yeah, I think that did come up then. Yeah. How to host a dungeon, that's what it is. That's called. the one, yes, exactly. So, yeah, it's you playing by yourself. Oh, because it was solo games, wasn't it? We were talking about solo games. Yeah. Um, and that was a game you play by yourself, but to develop something. So I guess that's expression. You're expressing your creative side, creating something through playing a game. But then that's... That's actually creating rules around it. So that was a game through expression because there was rules around how you could create your dungeon. Um, there was a structure and there was a goal. Like you had to go through the three stages. So maybe that's how you create a game around expression. You actually create some structure around which you do create something. But anyway, yeah. So the last two are a challenge. So game is a challenge. Game is an obstacle course. And a submission a game is mindless pastime. <laughs> Snakes and adders, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so that last one seems a bit of a cop out to me as well. So basically, anything that doesn't fall into the other ones gets dropped into that one. <laughs> so yeah, does it? Have... Anything that's rubbish is just a game. Like if you <laughs> if it passes yeah, a bit of time. Exactly. So yeah, I'm not sure if that's a bit of a cop out one, but that's like a principal Skinner game. That's what it's Make make a game out of it. <laughs> <laughs> 
300 letters in an hour. <laughs> then try and beat that. Make a game out of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting th- thinking about it split down like that, I guess. It is. And um, curiously, right, this is what I had in uh, in my theories of fun that can come out of um, gaming or role-playing entertainment. Uh, first is gaming itself. Pwned. Like, it's about games set up arbitrary rules which create an arena for competition. And when you play in these games, you have to submit to the rules and your skills against one another in order to see who triumphs. So the fun is in beating your opponent, overcoming adversity, but then also the fun at a a deep level, once once the basics are understood, comes from uh, appreciating the tactics and techniques and strategy required throughout the game. And I think it's especially appealing to the male psyche to analyse and discuss the minute of games, yeah, uh, something that is, is blokey. Whether you know, you know, he guys talking about football all the time. I don't go into like immense details and the, their theories on the different players and the formations and what yeah. might work. And what not. Yeah, strategy. Kick it in the hole more times than them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I do find it quite. I do find it amusing when I hear kids talking about uh, at school talking about FIFA. And they're the kids who are laughing at my collection of board games in the corner. <laughs> I'm thinking, guys, you're just talking about all your player stats. It goes back to fa- uh, fantasy football being Dungeons and Dragons for the kids who used to beat up the kids playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, indeed. So, um, yeah, so gaming, and that re- roughly reflects um, challenge, I think, on the other list. Yeah, um, I have a second flavour fun is exploration. What would really happen, which is an escapist element, um, which is exploring the imaginary world in which the story is set. You know, exploring the story as it unfolds, uh, which is something that I think is pretty strong in role play games. Pretty unique to them, um, giving the players the power to investigate the fictional world as if it was real. Mm-hmm. Can't do that with many other kinds of games. But if you're to isolate that, you, you couldn't isolate that and make it a game, could you? Then Google Earth would be a game, uh, or Google Street View would be a game where you're just exploring and looking at things. But then that doesn't have the goal that yeah defines the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you could make a goal that yeah did use Google Earth or Google Street. Street view, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then you put in a couple of rules, i.e. Uh, you can only go down streets that start with an A, you've got to make it from this part of the town to the other part of the town, and then suddenly you've got a game, don't you? A goal and mm-hmm. rules. Yeah, yeah I, suppose, well, I suppose what I'm thinking just now is that some of these you could isolate and have only one of them and it would be a game, whereas others of these are kind of elements. These Well, these are what are supposed to be oh, fun, I guess. Yeah. These aren't elements yeah. that can, yeah, comprise all games. These are like things that people might look for as, as, as being fun. Like, like you say, yeah, it might. It's, sometimes it's fun just to go on Google Maps and just to explore, just to mm-hmm. have a look at things. Um, and then I think you know, we'd all agree that exploration is a big part of um, 
you know, when Worlds Collide campaign, mm-hmm. you're almost mm-hmm. playing that, exploring that Matt's world. Is uh, it was fun. It's interesting to see what's out there. And yeah. So that that links to the discovery from the other um, chart. Yeah, yeah. And then I'd say the next one is is narrative, but my definition of it is slightly different. Or what I'm saying, I'm saying like uh, basically people enjoy a good story. Most stories, when you trace them back, it all comes back to the one universal premise of good versus evil. That's pretty much. This is a very, very uh, abridged. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that is the basic version of like it is. It is good versus evil. So basically, narrative is gonna look at the the morality of of the characters, of the main characters, and then the morality of the the world they live in and the things that they meet and the choices they make in that to determine whether it. Uh, Good or evil, and when you have a good um, or bad outcome, but then within that, you know, a narrative is everything else that comes out of stories, all the all the emergent things that are interesting that, that hook you into stories of like. But essentially, focusing on characters, like you know, kind of wondering what's going to happen to them. You know, are they going to get their just desserts, or are they going to get away with what they've what they've done, or are they going to repent? That kind of thing. Will they triumph? You know, remaining good in a world that's already corrupt. Or, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the one of the they kind of tie together, don't they? That and the one before, because the exploration is one of the things that's most fun about stories. Like you read the story because you get to learn about a new world and you kind of explore it alongside the characters. Um. So yeah, narrative and yeah. But, exploration. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they normally go hand in hand. Yeah, they're they're two of the escapist elements. Yeah. I would say, I would say like they're, they're linked together. But you can, you know, some games can have one without the other, and some games oh, yeah. Yeah. one over the other. Some people prefer more to discover about the world, and some prefer more to you know, see the unfolding stories of the characters um, or of the societies they're in. Um, and then the third escapist element um, is immersion, which is probably closest to expression but it's not but it's not something that I don't think really maps over to the other ones and then that is very linked to role playing games because for me immersion is role playing, it is, it is playing that role <coughs> yeah, it's yeah. becoming Maybe. that character and so when, we spend, yeah, when we spend half an hour in our accents in the world, when worlds collide yeah. Uh, making making our plans exactly. <laughs> conflicting with each other. Yeah, exactly. Get discussing what to do and getting quite passionate about what you think is the best course of action, like, as your character would. You know, but in that fictional world. Yeah, maybe that maybe that's a little bit what he means by sensation, actually, because uh, if you're if you're immersed in the world, then you start to you know get the same sensations, feelings, emotions, whatever, as your character. Um, I'm not yeah. sure. Maybe that's part of it. But yeah, I know exactly what you mean, Joe. Yeah, yeah that... it probably is a combination of sensation and expression, I suppose. Mm. And it's that flow, isn't it? You know, people talk about flow, flow theory, where you're basically your brain just becomes so focused on one thing, and you're not aware of time or surroundings or whatever. So yeah, in immersion, you're not aware of real life anymore. You're suddenly just thinking of yourself as a character. Yeah. 
yeah, that doesn't mean like you lose lose track of the uh, external world in a mazes and monsters kind of way. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you still know you're not really enough, but yeah, you're getting in, you're experiencing, feeling some of that emotion. Is some of that emotional transference yeah. that you get from the characters, which is uh, can be good fun. And, yeah. Yeah. Important. Then it's it's good to. I think that's what kind of more than the, the gaming level makes you actually care about the characters and actually, you know, celebrate their triumphs more and um, fear their setbacks or harm to them. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's when you that's when you really enjoy a book or a film or a story in any way, isn't it? When you suddenly you put your book down and you feel a sense of anxiety and then it's only two or three minutes later you suddenly realise that you're worrying about this thing that's about to happen to your characters if it was going to happen to you and it just disappears when you realise that that's not actually real. <laughs> I don't know, is that just me? <laughs> just no, get... that, that makes sense. What we said there as well, that kind of sums up what's happening for everyone who's, who's suffering from anxiety disorders and things like that and stuff. It is worrying about this this fiction that they've created of things that might happen oh, right, might, okay. might go wrong and stuff instead of just going oh actually I'm okay at the moment yeah oh, interesting so that's almost, uh, almost on, a related, on a related side topic and I'm going to drag us drag us aside a little bit um, <laughs> just, just when you're talking uh, about tangent, um, warning, tangent warning <laughs> you definitely need a little uh, jingle for that um <laughs> On a side topic from um, the Tom Hanks movie, uh, there is now the famous 1984 anti-Dungeons and Dragons comic Dark Dungeons is now coming to video. The movie has been kickstarted. So remember the religious comics that told everyone... Oh, it seems like the Chick Tracks. That's the one, the Chick Tracks. There is now going to be a movie. Is it an ironic movie? Or is it a Christian movie? <laughs> it's actually, it's being, it's made as an ironic statement, but I think they're filming it straight down the line. <sighs> but it's, but no, but it's being filmed by geeks. All right, okay. <laughs> but because it's so ridiculous, you can't even parody it. Yeah. <laughs> so they're just, they're just, they're just playing it straight. <laughs> ironic statement. Thirty years later. Is that right? Yes. It may be a little bit later, not a bit. Um, not really topical. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, back on track. <laughs> tangent, tangent recline. Um, okay, yeah, my last flavour of, no, it's not my last flavour of fun. I've got a whole another one and uh, all-encompassing one after this. So. <laughs> uh, is unity, which is like fellowship. That feeling of belonging, social acceptance, group cohesion, camaraderie. Yeah, teamwork. Teamwork, a sense of shared purpose, yeah, um, which I think explains part of the tradition of party play in uh, role-playing games, as in you play in like one party of characters who tend to generally stay together and stuff and generally work together and do things. And, um, though it's more of a deviation to play against the party. Uh, something that I feel doesn't usually work that well in role-playing games, unless they're specifically set up for that. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so yes, CF um, episode something or other on uh, Eternal Contenders. Yeah, but the, I think that's why some people play, play role-playing games. That you know, sense of belonging and feeling that you're yeah you're on a team, going to get stuff done, and that's that's what that can be fun. And you have what we call positive inter interdependence, where you're a 
where you each have different skills or abilities that you've chosen uh, to uh, that you need each other. Yeah, yeah. Like that's some of the most memorable parts of the games we've played together where the stuff that we all do separately, our strengths have actually come together to do something brilliant, like the classic Gorbatora encounter. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, sorry, used, explain yeah. that. Uh, we uh, <laughs> One of the biggest events in the, the game that we play with, uh, Matt, who's been in the podcast before, uh, was when we defeated a Gorbator, which is a seemingly, well, it was something that we thought of as being basically immortal compared to our level, but we just managed to pull off an extremely lucky and quite jammy um, combination of things, including a magic attack from me, a massive something attack, like strength attack from David, a, a sneaky thing from Joe, and uh, probably and I, and hitting them with that. Yeah, <laughs> in the way of his sword for us. Yeah, exactly. Aye. So that basically everything that we all do best all came together to kill this thing that was just unkillable. And that's one of the most memorable things in that see that game. But a lot of that sort of game yeah. also comes to a us being more than the sum of our parts as well, which yeah, is yeah. and a um uh, a synergy between our skills. Um where I was you know, I was giving commands to help to help you take it down. So oh, yeah, that my was, command yeah. skill. Yeah. Um, I uh, take him down uh, feet, which I could use once a day. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you were, I think you'd already charged up uh, David's hammer. Yeah. You know, so so there was a, yeah, like I say, interdependence there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're right, Joe. I, I think that's one of the important ones, the teamwork. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was cool. Taking down the Gorbachev, exactly. That's a good, good example of when you just feel like, yeah, everything comes together as a team. And then, like, say, yeah, love of when that plan comes together. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, my final flavour of fun is smiles. <laughs> Cheer up! It's the end of the essay. Um, what is there to say about smiles? You know, it's just about literally smiling, being happy, something that makes you. Laugh makes you think it's funny. It's it's quite subjective, but you just know if it does. So I think that's something that uh, is fun in games and gaming, and that's something that can keep you coming back for. There was one interesting one actually. Um, well, it probably just covers the similar type of stuff. It was um, something by it was much more science based. These people did it, uh, proper research. Uh, Nicole Lazaro and it was Zio Designs the company and they had four sort of dimensions to fun so they just called it easy fun hard fun people fun and serious fun um, <laughs> tell you a lot from no so I can explain it a wee bit more I, I won't go too much into it because I don't think it differs that much from what we've talked they about they at least already. could have found, found words in Greek to make it sound scientific yeah to make it sound impressive what's easy fun Is easy fun could have found words ending with ism yeah exactly yeah that broadcastable yeah <laughs> um, uh, easy fun was um, basically creating any kind of incompleteness or ambiguity so just like making people it's kind of like solving a puzzle but not even as complicated as that but just uh when people are exploring if there's somebody uh, intriguing there so if there's a guy one of the npcs mentions something and continues on and you know it's the type of fun that comes about by you not quite knowing the whole story and being curious i guess so it's not really kind of built in as a really hard um 
solid type it's just of fun. A kind of mystery. Just yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, mystery. Unresolved That's exactly mystery. it. Yes. Unresolved plot lines. Yeah. Like yeah. Game of Thrones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unresolved plot lines. Game of Thrones is the master of that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's not fun after a while. <laughs> yeah. When's winter coming again? Oh, apparently it's here, but yeah. So it was it was contrasting with hard fun because hard fun's more uh, meaningful challenges. So it's stuff that's like official games, like you know, like a puzzle, or um, you're playing something, see how good you are at it, or you're playing it to beat the game, or whatever. So it's more you know traditional types of games, um, which are hard coded in, I guess. Um, but yeah, I suppose it was just distinguishing between the fact that sometimes a game can be quite uh, subtle as opposed to. You know, just knots and crosses or whatever. That was, uh, if anybody wants to look it up, it's zeodesign.com. It's actually quite interesting. They've got a big diagram going through it all, so it's quite easy to look through. I'll put, I'll put the name of it in the show notes. What are the other times, types of fun? There's easy fun, hard fun. Uh, they've got people fun, so just, you know, teamwork like you were talking oh, about. Yeah. And uh, serious fun. Now, what is serious fun, actually? Serious fun. How does that differ from hard fun? Oh, do you know what? They've got, the two, they've got different things in their two explanations. A bunch of frauds. <laughs> in, one doc, in one document, they've got the three, but instead of serious fun, they've got altered states, which is, uh, I guess, maybe about sensation. Players report that how a game makes them feel inside is one of the major reasons why they play, or games as therapy. They describe enjoying changes in their internal state during and after play. It's all very scientific. Uh, so basically, yeah, making them feel different. So yeah, immersion, uh, just generally good feelings about playing. Or miserable feelings if you just yeah, go to a tournament, lost five games in a row. Yeah. <laughs> five hour drive back or something. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. Avoiding <coughs> avoiding boredom, they say here. Yeah. I think one of the I think one of the things for me, uh, we've got the, the basic ones which are the rules and the voluntariness and the goal, but I think one of the things for me is a game needs to be or maybe not so much what defines a game, but what defines a good game mm-hmm. is uh getting better at it the feeling that you can get better at it the imp- a sense of improvement yeah yeah so yeah, there's if, lots of signs where you, if you if you lose i don't mind losing it's where i lose i don't feel i've learned anything or gotten any better it's really that's what's frustrating yeah that's what tells you the game's more than just chance as well isn't it because if it's just chance you can't improve can yeah. you mm-hmm. Aye. So. yeah it needs to be more than just chance definitely yeah. So the more you've got in that, the more meaningful decisions there are for you to make as a player. Mm-hmm. I think the deeper the design, that's something I always try and try and have, like meaningful player choice. Yeah. So you, as you improve, you learn what were the more optimal choices in that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whether you look in the short term or long term. Or... Yeah, definitely. I do you know that was something that came out of one of these lectures. This I don't know where the source was for this, but it was the fact that people need to feel a sense of control and autonomy, so you can control how things are going, and you have a bit of free will at least. You're not like you, there might be rules, but you know you can you have a bit of freedom within those rules to actually do something or have some kind of effect on the outcome. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, you're just watching. You're just a yeah passive. Yeah. Well, it's like like snakes and ladders, isn't it? Or, or almost like talisman. Talisman's not far from snakes and ladders, is it? You've got one choice whether you go left or right each turn, that's it, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Like Trivial Pursuit without the questions. Yeah. (laughs) You've occasionally got slightly few more choices, like you can go in, sometimes you can go to the middle region. But usually. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's just one word, and sometimes they can be exactly the same squares that you land in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what have we come up with? We've come up with a few different, a few different yeah, types so, of fun. <laughs> what is a game? What is a game? Okay, needs needs players who have to make decisions in order to achieve some sort of goal. Yeah, and there needs to be some kind of constraints. Otherwise, it's not fun because even just having yeah. having no constraints is is boring. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It needs to be yeah. Achieve a goal within some set within of rules, arbitrary yeah. restraints. Yeah. Yeah. But how to quantify smiles or what's funny or what's what's not is uh, an impossible task, I would say. Yeah, we can debate about what kind of fun kinds of fun there are, but <laughs> different. Different people like different types of fun. Mm-hmm. And we're lucky. I was thinking earlier, we're, we're lucky we now live in a world and uh, we have so many choices for things to do, yeah. uh, and games to play. Think, think, about, think about the games that we don't like and we just don't have to play. Joe doesn't have to play Dreadball again. <laughs> <laughs> David, David doesn't have to play Battlestar Galactica. We have other things we can do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of choice. So I think we came to some uh, good conclusions there. Uh, there now follows a further conversation, uh, which I've found a bit hard to classify. Uh, we covered lots of bases, uh, expanding on our discussion on types of fun, uh, before moving on to which kinds of role-playing game and what kinds of role-playing uh, offer up those, uh, those modes of fun. Uh, like I said, it's hard to put a title on this bit of the discussion, uh, but I think it is worth hearing, uh, largely unedited. Uh, so let's get back to call Joe and myself. That's mine. Yeah, because as soon as you put a cheat into a game, normally it just becomes so boring, even though you can't resist doing it the first time. <laughs> exactly. And then the, the types of fun is about what, what we think makes a game a good game, yeah. or a better game. But if it supports... Not every type of fun, but if it, if it knows what it's trying to um, trying to promote, yeah. so you know if players are looking for a real strong challenge mechanically, then it should support that. Whereas if it's just wanting to be more about um, creating creating a story and letting people immerse, then you could focus more on that and have less of the overcoming adversity challenge yeah. aspects. I don't know, but it's, it's quite striking that balance, isn't it? Different for different people. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a huge range of uh, role-playing games along those lines, isn't there? From the um, mm. that uh, what's it called again? Archipelago, which is basically all exploration, very little in way of goals or challenge or anything like that. It's basically just all narrative, I guess, um, compared to some of the really crunchy games. Yeah, definitely, there is a, a big range. Like you say and stuff, yeah, because Archipelago, yeah, I don't think there's any explicit goals, are there? You have to kind of come up with your own goals during play, and uh, from what I understand of it. And that there is, there might be some challenge, but there might not be. It's kind of dependent on whether the other players l like your version of the world. Or yeah, not. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seemed the most kind of airy fairy type of game that I've read <laughs> certainly no I quite liked it like I really want to try it sometime but it just certainly seemed the least structured 
of many games I've uh, I've read about. <laughs> but, yeah. Cool. I, yeah, I know what you're saying. I think it's about recognizing your own personal preferences as well. What you want from a game, what you what you like, what kind of fun. Like, cause I do like a, a, you know a decent chunk of challenge and step on up and yeah uh, competition see, in a game yeah see I find it much more fun uh, playing with the uh, the numbery goodness that is D and D than you do I think Joe see, we're, 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 I think we're, I see <laughs> sorry which D and D all right oh well I mean uh, uh, three I suppose three and a half three point five is the only one I've really played any. Amount of yeah, so now it's pretty much Pathfinder, <laughs> pretty much that system. But having said that, have you ever tried to run a session, Colin? I have, and I failed miserably because I, <laughs> I didn't really read the rules before I tried. Bad <laughs> as I did. <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've not, I've not got into it uh, enough probably to find the uh, the flaws. Well, that is the flaw that you tried to run a session and it failed miserably because it's not an easy it's not an easy system to run. Well, at yeah. All. Um, and in fact, to to actually make it run, you have to ignore about half the rules all the time. <laughs> I think that's why it, that's how it works. That's, uh, remember playing this? We played a couple of sessions, Colin. It, it worked fine because we did just we not just put the books away we just at, the t- at the table. Yeah, and you couldn't remember. We just made up. And that, that, I think D and D is how you make it work. Yeah, <laughs> use it as a vague structure. <laughs> yeah, it requires user patch to function. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is it still a game uh, to the GM? Well, that's a good question. Well, yeah, that is a good question. I don't think. I think a lot of cases it's not. It isn't. Which is something I have a problem with. It's why I don't really like gemming or part of why I don't really like gemming and why I try to, if I'm having that GM role, have it structured so that it can still be a game to the GM. Like the GM's resources are constrained in some way. They've still got some rules to play by because mm-hmm. the, the, the kind of default approach for all playing games is like rules era. The GM is bigger than the rules. The GM can just ignore the rules whenever they want. Yeah which, yeah, which for some games you need to function, but that's a flaw in design. I would suggest <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> that shouldn't be uh, built in. <laughs> in theory, with D and D, you have challenge ratings for your encounters, and uh, your uh, the players get rewards off of the GM depending on how difficult the encounter was. But I think those they, those are never a, a hard and fast science in any way. Well, they're they're not um, enforceable anyway. They're not. That it's just a suggestion. The gym can ignore them if they, if they don't want to, and that's within yeah. the rules. Because <laughs> the rules are the gym's bigger than the rules. I can ignore the challenge ratings if I want. <laughs> challenge ratings aren't even that accurate. <laughs> but no, no, they're not. Cool. Okay, I think we've uh, we've done this one. We've put it to bed, and it doesn't need us. Need us like anyone <laughs> ever again. How did we get, we get on to that anyway? I was talking to Colin was saying something about something. <laughs> so I get onto what? Sorry, onto the. How do we get onto Pathfinder? You were saying you got more. Oh, just the different, like different strokes for different folks type of thing. Like I've, I, well, I, the impression I always get is that I like the, uh, or I'm more willing to put up with numbers. I like more. I tend to like more solid rules. Um, that tell you what you can and can't do, black and white type of stuff. Than. That's a complete contradiction for saying you like Pathfinder. I think. Well, I suppose there I, are. The I didn't rules say I like. There. I don't know but, what Pathfinder is. Well, that's D and D third edition, pretty much. 
But anyway. Yeah, because the the the, the time when we act, when the way you actually made that work was when you had when you ignored them. Yeah, when there <clears> weren't <throat> any black and white rules, when it was all shades of grey that you were. No, but see, I, that's not that's not what I I. No, that's not you what I meant. If that's what if that's what I said, that's not what I meant. Every, do you want there to be a rule for every sort of narrative situation yeah. that could? Exactly. <laughs> I want to... for knowing that there is a rule for falling off things. Yeah, exactly. I like six feet, and how that's different from dropping from falling from eight feet, or uh, there's a rule for how many miles you can cover in a day with a certain encumbrance yeah. of pounds. Yeah, exactly. In your backpack. <laughs> yeah. I honestly, I honestly, that's what I that's what I want in a game. But the problem is that it makes it unplayable. I agree with you there, Joe. Like it's impossible to know all of those rules, and that's why you have to make it up as you go along. But I, I kind of want a game, well, like a computer game, I guess, whereby it works all that out for you. Oh, so you really? don't have you to do it. Have all about that. Really, but let me put this to you then. In, in When Worlds Collide, you would rather that your wild mage just had set spells that he could do and he couldn't experiment with plasma and couldn't try different things and couldn't do weird stuff. It would just be like, okay, no, you can do blasts, you can do healing, and you can do walls. And you develop those, and they're always they're all set in still like how big they can be. Yeah. So it's like I want to do a ten foot wall. It's like well, no, you can only do a seven foot wall at the moment. So those two guys can get around it. But that's exactly the impression I get that um, it is with that game. Like, no, so, it's not. It's totally flexible. It's totally made up. No, but there are rules for for walls, for platforms, for blasts, for balls, that type of stuff. So, and you'd be just discovering them yeah. as part of your exploration. And of he's, the world. I don't think there are. I think that's all Matt. No, I looked at the I looked at the book. So there's there's rules for a ball that blasts. So it's like a grenade, basically. Uh, there's rules for like focused bullets of magic of some sort. I mean, I know that Matt puts in a fair bit of expression and you're right like uh, I say I want to do a slightly bigger one or a slightly slower one uh, smaller one sorry so Matt puts in percentages and sort of does fudge it a bit in that sense but I I kind of like the fact or my <laughs> I like my perception of it being that there are there is some control over it Matt's not just making it up completely as he goes along like there are some kind of solid numbers behind it but I could be wrong. You might be right, Joe. I'm not sure. Maybe it does make it up completely. But I have seen some of the rules for the plasma stuff from the book, and it does seem to have quite a lot of structure there. Oh, interesting. Interesting, yeah. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I wonder if, if he is really going from that then, or if it's just the sense, the illusion that it's yes. coming from. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Because even if I just, I know that book's there and does exist, even if Matt doesn't use it, as long as I think he is... <laughs> It gives me that kind of satisfaction that um, maybe that's what it is. I just need to be tricked into know it, into thinking there's some structure. <laughs> if I haven't read the rule book and I don't know that it's all been completely fudged, then I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a big thing in in role playing games traditionally as well. They sometimes refer to it as illusionism, yeah. like making people think there's a big structure there and how it works, and it doesn't really. Or making people making them characters think that they're taking. Uh, their own decisions when inevitably it leads to the same confrontation yeah. with the bad guy it always was going to. So you feel like you're almost like playing if you've, you're playing D&D you're almost like feeling you're playing the proper game or the proper you know like an official game because loads of people are playing it then your fireball is the same as someone else's fireball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I suppose so. <laughs> No, it's it's a it's a big thing. Like um, people mm. would uh, 
it's you know it's, it's why people wouldn't a lot of people wouldn't like to play a different game because suddenly it's not it kind of break almost like breaking the spell if you're gonna have two different sets of rules mm. for role playing then suddenly you realize that they're they're relatively arbitrary and they're they're both made up worlds yeah. well i think that's part of what adds the challenge isn't it when you know there are constraints as opposed to being able to just say right i'm going to do this and you can you invent a way narratively how you do it it almost feels sometimes like that means you can get out of anything so there's less challenge so there needs to still be restrictions on what you can do even if it's not numbers based but those are very much illusory as we said illusory um is that a word yeah yeah Yeah. illusory um constraints because they're they're yeah constraints yeah when you analyze them they're illusory but it still feels more compelling at that moment to give yourself those constraints. We should probably talk about specific examples because it's hard to have everything couched in general terms. Well, okay, and a, a specific example I think of is the magics, like the plasma magic, because in that storyline, my character is a world mage. He knows absolutely nothing about it. The first couple of levels, basically anything I tried to cast, there was a good 50-50 chance, if not more, that I would blow myself up as opposed to for, <laughs> as opposed to make the magic work. So because I thought that I did have to roll really well and there were specific numbers I had to roll over. When it came off, I, it was really exciting. It was like it was so um, satisfying and it just made the game when something like that actually killed a bad guy because I felt like it was really difficult and I had achieved something when it happened. Yeah, so you feel like there is a system. So if the system were to change, then you might be might not be as good for you. I think, in fact, what Colin's talking about is exploration, isn't it? When we think about it, yeah, it's exploration, it's discovery. He enjoys the fun and the discovery of that system, and and part of you know, if you make a discovery, it, it's got to stay true. Otherwise, yeah. it wasn't a discovery if it changes. So it's like a fake science. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're kind of discovering the limits of what you're doing or what you do have to, to roll or to achieve to make a, make a success of things. It's always cool in fantasy literature when you're learning with the characters how the magic works in yeah. that setting. Yeah, You think of something like uh, Brandon Sanderson's uh, Mistborn. Yeah, definitely. Where there's so much exposition in it, but it's all cool about how the different types of magic work. Yeah. Who can cast what and the, and the social sort of... Um, uh, the social impact of 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 all this different type of magic, mm-hmm. by by basically eating metals, people do one type of magic, and then other other types of magic users stick them on them. What they do, they like, I don't know. Anyway, it's very odd. Yeah. But it's been well thought through, and you're exploring as the characters explore it. Yeah, and then they do something cool with it that you never thought of before. Like it's obviously not the way that magic's designed to be used, but suddenly they can do something amazing. But yeah, anyway, I I just it's I it's probably I probably think about it the wrong way sometimes, but uh, and no, there's not a wrong way. It's just what you like, isn't it? Yeah, but no, sorry. What I meant by that was um, I kind of like the idea of D and D because you've got all these rules so strictly laid out uh, that it can be worked in, but actually, um, it's probably too hard to actually write enough or structured enough rules without taking away the fun i'm not i think there's going to be a happy medium somewhere i mean some of the some of the games i've played recently Yggdrasil sticks out because it was a very very well defined uh but still really really quite um snappy kind of um uh, simulationist 
um, system. I don't think I'd, I'm not too sure if there's a detailed magic system there, but it, there were there were skills to cover pretty much every situation without the huge number of, of the huge amount of rules you get in D and D. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm kind of just thinking of the fact that with D and D you get. <clears throat> try to think you get like two or three spells every level or whatever isn't it so you've only got yeah. these really specific things and i think that's what you were saying wasn't it joe that you're really restricted to what you can do and you know exactly what happens with it whereas at least with matt's Pretty world much. yeah at least with matt's world i can kind of even if it is using a rule in the background you can do a few different things with it like you can pretend you're making stuff up which does probably make it a lot better yeah, totally. But then the biggest, biggest thing as well is just having the GM on side because even if you're playing D&D or Pathfinder and you've got your book and it says it works in a certain way, if the GM says, no, actually, it doesn't work like that, well, you don't get a spell, and that's that's it. I suppose, yeah, and like you say, with your relationship with the GM, you, you want one where you, where you are free to um, collaboratively collaboratively work to, to find a solution to that sort of thing. If, yeah. If you have a you have to, yeah, you have to make sure that you've got the same thing in mind when it comes to the magic or the magic system. That might be something that if the, the GM's changed in their world or wants to run differently and stuff. And yeah, like magic in, in Matt's world is very, very different from the, the basic role master setting where it's you know, really common and most people are magical. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, at least, yeah, a lot of the classes have access to spells. Well, that's the autonomy, isn't it? We mentioned autonomy earlier on. That's one of the important parts. So being able to actually do that, yeah, to make up your own stuff or change things if you want. Part of the fun. Cool. We've gone way off topic, haven't we? But yeah. It's still, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's fun. <laughs> well, we're still talking about what is a game, kind of. Yeah, or yeah. what makes fun. Elements of games yeah. and things. Yeah, our own preferences of what we prefer, what kind of types of fun we like. and It's good to know that bear it in mind stuff try and build the, the perfect game that ticks all our boxes <laughs> yeah <laughs> perfectly that stuff cool right. that, just, that uh, just means basically making a robot mat doesn't it <laughs> well it's yeah I mean there's still some things that I think could be I, I would prefer done differently in, in that you know the role mass system does still sometimes make me face palm but <laughs> maybe what sorry make me just or oh, make you face palm, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> like what? Go on then quickly before we finish. <laughs> uh, what do you, you know, it'll be something like, okay, this guy's, this guy, right, we're going to meet this, this tramp, um, you know, smooth talk our way past these guards or something. So we'll talk to him and stuff and say, oh, okay, well, if I could slip you a couple of silver if you could look the other way and let us through. And like, oh, so have you got the bribery skill? Well, no, I haven't got the bribery skill. Okay, well, okay. So that makes that more difficult. I've got the duping skill. Uh, well, no, I haven't got the duping skill. Okay. I've got sense motive. Is that what you, what you, so you can sense what the guys might be thinking, but that's not going to help you actually. But there's just like so many skills and so much overlap, and, and suddenly it'll get to the point where if you don't have the specific skill at that point, that you, you can't do a thing, even though it would kind of make sense for your character to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Matt gives you a fair bit of leeway, but in uh, you know, if you're sticking hard to the rules, things like if you don't have ride or swimming skill or something, you can't do that, or you have to make a make a check, and you've got a really high chance of 
failure. Yeah. I suppose, yeah, that's realism in games, isn't it? Because that's what it's like in real life. Like, I would probably quite struggle to bribe somebody in an effective way. <laughs> no, but if you well, were... I think if you gave them enough money, that they would probably... Well, that's true, yeah. Well, give them a big enough coin. <laughs> but, yeah. I don't think bribery is, you know, um, wide enough to merit its own skill. It should just... Right, yeah, yeah. I think there should be, like, a, a class of skills that just encompass all sort of... Um, yeah, just be a charisma check or something, yeah. Yeah. Or go down to your the warp system from uh, uh, over the edge, where you if you can work it into your into one of your several um, shticks, then then you do get the bonus for 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 doing that. Yeah, exactly. And you don't need to break all those skills down onto a percentile and have it like say you know i'm i'm 62% good at bribing but <laughs> only 48% good at duping someone <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you don't right. need that level of granularity in yeah. a game it does just mean that you end up advancing yeah really specific things because uh, because you basically don't get anywhere if you spread out so much over your 50 different skills doesn't it yeah yeah and it's, it's just you know Stuff that does come down to the hard system, like combat skills, basically get tend to get favoured more because yeah. you, it, that is something that's in the book, or that you need some sort of harder, that's harder more important. Yeah, exactly, because you, you might get killed, yeah. you might lose that character, so you need to have that modified. Yeah, and I can always, you know, if I can't bribe somebody, I can just chop his head off. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yep, basically. which is the option David takes most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Most. Yeah, sometimes he keeps the skull instead. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> but yeah. Oh well. Is that enough game design? I think we've uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what to call I don't know what to call that last ten minutes. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's what makes a game, but it's definitely good uh good this good in depth discussion. <laughs> Maybe we just talk about our, our preferences, yeah, our fun preferences fun. in a game. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So I, yeah, I think I'm more of a. I think I like a huge variety of things. Sometimes depends on my moods because I'll play all sorts of things. Don't think there's many games. Don't think there's, there are any games I don't like. I mean, Warhammer can be a lot of things because it's too. Yeah, yeah. That's not a game. <laughs> It's a game. Hang on. It's a goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But don't make decisions though. No decisions whatsoever, which makes it a, a entirely, entirely spectator. Yeah. Sport. Um, but yeah, apart from that, Warhammer can be annoying because it's long. But you have also had good games of Warhammer as well. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I think I'm lucky in that respect. There's there's nothing I'll refuse to play really. That the you the end the, any of my friends will play as well. Yeah, no, I'll try anything. Yeah, I I mean, there's not many games I don't like. Like I said, it's great that we're we're spoiled for choice nowadays. There's so much out there. Yeah, it's good to scratch all your itches. Okay, Oaks, should we tie up? Yep. Okay, we'll be back to say goodbye in just a moment, folks. Right, welcome back, folks. I uh, just thought we'd say goodbye and give you some details about how to get in touch with us, about um, how, what you enjoyed about the show and uh, things you didn't enjoy about the show. 
surely nothing. But um, Colin's gonna <laughs> Colin, you're a web maestro. Okay, gracious, okay. Gracious host. No, no worries. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, come to the website. Just go to DysonWithDesign.com and you'll find all our contact details there. Uh, but pop onto Facebook and search for Dicing with Design and you'll get our uh, main contact. Uh, so yeah, just drop us a comment on there. I'd love to hear what you want on the future episodes, what questions you want us to ask. Uh, so yeah, get on there and let us know. Okay. And with that, we're going to say goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye. See you later. Bye. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Bye bye, Colin. Bye bye, Colin. Bye, Colin.